Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppi. I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast, Ben Jones from statecollege.com. Ben, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So a big matchup this week with number 24, Iowa, against number seven, Penn State, a whiteout game. For the 99.9% of people tuning into this who haven't in-person experienced a Penn State whiteout game, what is this environment going to be like that Iowa's going to see on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. You know, I've been to, I think, technically every whiteout game um, that, that's happened, and they never really get old. I think that, um, you know, in, in recent years in particular, um, Beaver Stadium's been just about full about an hour before kick, which, you know, given the size of that stadium is pretty impressive. Um, it's an awesome atmosphere. Um, I've been around the Big Ten, a couple of places outside of the Big Ten um, that have great, you know, atmospheres and environments. Iowa is certainly one of them. I, I think Iowa has always been one of my favorite road games to to go and cover because that's a lot of fun. But nothing's quite like Beaver Stadium and, and certainly nothing at Beaver Stadium is quite like the whiteout. And it's interesting, not really natural rivals when you think of geography and everything between Iowa and Penn State. But I think it's four of the last five matchups have been decided by one possession. And it seemed like last year, things afterward even got a little more of a twist with the whole Kurt Ferentz smelling a rat. And it sounds like James Franklin was not too fond of those comments. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, James has not been a war of words guy over his time at Penn State. Um, I, I think that he's sort of of the opinion that that doesn't serve him any good, but um, there have been occasions where if you go after his players um, in one way or another, that he will come out and defend them. Um, you know, I do think that that adds a little layer to this game. The fact that, you know, Penn State went um, to Iowa City and then had the number of injuries, legitimate or otherwise, in that game that sort of sparked that whole uh, situation. And the fact that now that Kirk Ferentz and James Franklin are number one and number two in the Big Ten's tenure system, um, if you, as it were, just because of longevity, that there's some familiarity there. Um, you know, I'm sure people are going to ask about that this week. I'm sure both coaches will do their best to uh, to bury that hatchet, hatchet publicly. But I'm sure that, uh, you know, I think the best James Franklin in, in terms of schematic and in terms of his ability to get teams per to perform is is petty James Franklin. So, you know, I think if there's an opportunity for Penn State to put more points on the board, if they're in that situ situation, uh, on Saturday that maybe he'll do it. But obviously, you know, Iowa's defense and and like you said, this series has been so tight that, uh, you know, they'll just be happy to win, let alone put up any extra points. And interesting, when I was kind of doing my preliminary research on Penn State, it seems like a much different team than that 2021 group that's in Iowa City. Yeah, I mean, obviously the big change, you know, no longer having Sean Clifford at quarterback, who was Penn State's quarterback for the better part of forever, um, you know, that's that's probably the biggest difference in terms of just what you see at face value of Penn State. Um, it, it's it's definitely a team that's still finding itself. I think Drew Aller has done a lot of really good things at quarterback for Penn State, especially as a as a sophomore getting his first starts in, at the college level. Um, he can make every throw for the most part. He's pretty much avoided making dumb mistakes. Um, he had an interception that should have been that was dropped, but other than that, um, he hasn't thrown an interception, hasn't really made those bad issues or, or mistakes, decisions. Um, the running game is coming around. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are great. And the defense um, is too talented to be bad, but hasn't quite found its stride, I would say, yet in terms of what people were expecting um, from this team. But 
on the whole, it's definitely a different team than, than went to Iowa in 2021, but there's a lot of similarities as well. Um, in Penn State, I think, is sort of as a program found its identity. Um, so you sort of know what you're going to get out of Penn State, regardless of how the personnel changes. You were mentioning Drew Aller. What kind of how would you kind of describe his scouting report for Iowa fans who haven't gotten a chance to see him yet? I would say um, he's more Christian Hackenberg than Trace McSorley, which for Iowa fans who have not spent all their free time watching Penn State football, um, he is more of a traditional pocket passer. Um, he can be mobile. He can run. He's a big guy. He's in the 6'5", six, 6'4", six, range. Um, I would believe 6'5", because I'm 6'4", and I'm actually 6'4", and he's just a little bit taller than me. Um, so he's I, I've compared Drew's running ability to kind of like a grocery cart getting away from you in the parking lot that once it kind of gets up to speed, um, it's a little bit harder to bring down. He's not afraid to lower his shoulder. But for the most part, um, he is a guy that's going to stand in the pocket with great pocket pocket presence. Um, he can throw on the run. Um, he really is good at the off platform throws and he has a really strong arm. I think one of Drew's best assets is the fact that he can make throws to the field really accurately and really strongly. The ball gets to wherever he wants it to go. Um, and with speed. And I think that that is huge because it really changes, uh, you know, what Penn state's able to do offensively. He's still growing into his position. Penn state's still growing into its offense. Um, but I would say that, uh, there's not a throw that he can't make. Does he make it every time? You know, that's the great challenge of being a quarterback is consistency. But to me, um, his arm strength, his decision making, his ability to feel pressure in the pocket um, are, are really beyond his years for just being a guy who's only started three games and is just a sophomore in college. I might have that image in my mind next time I'm grocery shopping and the next time a grocery cart gets away from me. But it seemed like his numbers weren't quite as good against Illinois as Delaware and West Virginia. Was there something in particular that kind of just was different about Illinois? Obviously, that's been a good defense over the years. Or what kind of do you think led to that? Um, I think one of the biggest things off the top is there were uh, at least three or four drops of passes that that really should have been caught. And that's part of the game. It happens. But um, you know, this offseason, one of the big storylines was consistency in the receiver room because there's really not that uh, Jahan Dotson, super obvious number one guy that Penn State's had, you know, really the last couple of years. Um, so it's just a matter of can they take that on the road? And the answer on Saturday was sort of, um, you know, one game is not a trend, but I, I think that it did highlight that sort of uncertainty in that room for Penn State a little, little bit. Um, there were certainly some throws that Drew would like to have back. There were some decisions he might like to have back. Um, but to me, I think he he didn't look rattled in the moment. Um, Illinois, like you said, has a very good defense. Sometimes we kind of look at teams' records or success and go, they can't be any good. But the reality is there's there's team even bad teams are good at something. And Illinois um, is certainly good at defense. So they did well on defense. Drew made some bad throws, um, had some drops. Um, to me, um, in the hierarchy of bad quarterbacking games, Drew wasn't awful. Just everybody around him could have been better as well. So I don't think it was so much a, a red flag that he's not quite there yet as much as it was just that's how it goes sometimes. Now, obviously, you know, I think that this is a good learning experience for that offense um, because obviously I was going to bring a defense that's not that dissimilar to Illinois, if not maybe even better. Um, so nothing says welcome to the Big Ten quite like 
playing a bunch of teams that can't put points on the board but can stop you. Um, that's that's sort of quintessential, at least that side of the conference it has been for a little bit now, and it'll certainly be that way on Saturday. And then not many teams with the running back depth that Penn State has in terms of one and two. How do they use Allen and Singleton, and how has the blocking been up front for them? Um, it Penn State's running game is interesting because um, – I think everyone expected more home runs. Nick Singleton is is a sort of Saquon Barkley-esque um, elusive guy that has a great speed. Um, they haven't really been able to do that yet this year. Katron Allen is a better probably between the tackles, just lower the shoulder, run you over kind of guy. On the whole, when you look at Penn State's numbers, they're better than they look when you watch them on the field. It's one of these teams that's getting four or five yards a pop, but it doesn't always feel like that. So to me, there's more to unlock there. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, you know, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are so good or, or certainly have a lot of things on film that make you go, these guys can be really good. So to me, there's there's an extra gear there. I think the blocking has been OK. I think Penn State's missing Landon Tangwall, who was supposed to start up front, had to retire from football um, this offseason due to injuries. So they, they kind of had to shuffle around a little bit and put some uh, new faces in there. Um, but to me, you know, this is a group kind of like Penn State's offense on the whole, which you go, they're either a sleeping giant or they're just sort of fool's gold. And we're still figuring out where exactly that falls. But to me, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are too talented to get bottled up all season. And and frankly, if they don't hit home runs, that's OK, um, because you'll probably win a lot of football games if you're averaging four or five yards a clip in the first place. You were mentioning not having a Dotson-like receiver in this receiver core. Is there somebody that you think is kind of the X factor of, okay, if this guy has a good game against Iowa's secondary, that's going to be really good for Penn State? Yeah, I mean, I think even though they don't have a Dotson guy, Keandre Lambert-Smith is the most experienced guy they've got coming back, um, is probably the most reliable, but also at the same time, sort of made a career early in his his time at Penn State of being inconsistent, being a little um, mercurial. He's a little bit of a moody guy. He plays with his emotions. So I think it's taken him a few years to figure out how to ride the highs and the lows the right way. Um, but this seems to be the year that he's figuring it out. He played well against West Virginia, played well against Delaware for as long as those starters were in, um, and was okay against Illinois, just not as active. So to me, um, there's definitely a, a different gear that he's got to find um, to really be kind of the Jahan Dotson. I'm just going to have a good game because I want to kind of player. Um, and that was really what Jahan and, and other guys like KJ Hamler and, and Chris Godwin down the line that were able to do. So I think he still has to find that. Um, I think more importantly, they've got to find uh, guys around him. Trey uh, Wallace or on Penn State's roster reads Harrison Wallace. Um, it has been Penn State's number two guy. He's super consistent, um, but he was out last week with an injury. Penn State doesn't do much in the way of injury updates, so can't really tell you if he's going to be back this weekend. Certainly not yet, at least. Um, and then behind him is just sort of a rotation of, I guess we'll see who plays well today. Malik McLean was sort of the obvious number three for a while, and then he was the one with the drops this weekend. Uh, Omari Evans was a guy last year that looked like he was going to play well had some bumps and bruises, hasn't quite worked his way back in. Caden Saunders, Penn State's punt returner, um, showed a couple flashes in the receiving game this past weekend that might see him bump up the depth chart a bit. Um, but yeah, at this point, it's Keandre's room, um, but he has to establish himself even more, and the guys around him have to pick him up because it's not hard to just cover one receiver if nobody else can do uh, their job as well. 
And then flipping over to the defensive side, obviously a couple guys heard their name called last April or whenever that was. If it's before football season, it's a blur. But still, it seems like some playmakers, whether it's Kalen King or others back there. Yeah, I mean, in, in the secondary, you know, Johnny Dixon, um, Kalen King, these are guys that have played a lot of football for Penn State. Kalen King, to me, um, is a guy that maybe doesn't have the same body that Joey Porter Jr. did or does, but is maybe just as talented, if not more so, in terms of how he plays the game at corner um, and really can find success. Cam Brown's been great. Um, they just really have a lot of different guys that are able to cover and able to make plays on the ball. Um, you know, Penn State had, I think it was four interceptions this past weekend. A lot of those were throwing the ball directly at Penn State players. So it's one of those things where you have to like judge how much was this good defense and how much was it just awful quarterbacking. But you still have to catch it at the end of the day. So that counts for something um, up front. You know, I think they're still figuring things out a little bit in the interior. Um, but, you know, Akeem Beeman's been great um, once he's been back from injury. Uh, Deny Dennis Sutton. Chop Robinson, you know, these are guys on the ends that have been really well as well. Adisa Isaac has been around Penn State for a long time at defensive end. Linebacker Kobe King has been good. He's the brother of Kalen King. Uh, Abdul Carter, you know, to, I think to a lot of Penn State fans, was a guy that was going to be the sort of Micah Parsons 2.0, a guy that was going to have an All-American season. He's been fine. He hasn't played poorly. He just hasn't necessarily been the sort of game breaker that I think people have been waiting to see him become. Um, because he showed flashes of that last year. Now, maybe he's just sleepwalking because West Virginia, Delaware, and Illinois are not the sort of lineup that, you know, maybe wake you up in the morning the same way that, a, you know, an Iowa game might. Um, so I think we'll see him come around into form sooner rather than later. But certainly, you know, as much as people go, this defense could be better. You look at every level and they've got guys that you go, you know, he could be the best player on some other defense somewhere else. Um, so to me, there's just too much talent for them not to figure it out. And the fact that Manny Diaz is back for a second year as a defensive coordinator gives them some continuity that they've lacked on that side of the ball. Um, so to me, it, you know, there's no time like the present to play good defense. And you've got to think that Penn State's going to do that sooner rather than later. In terms of the run game, Iowa kind of finally got it going against Western Michigan. But when you're talking about Western Michigan, that's a much different level. How has Penn State done so far in terms of stopping the run? Um, I think that's definitely the area of improvement. Um, I think that Penn State has not always been gap sound. Uh, you know, Delaware's only touchdown, only points um, against Penn State was a 66, I believe it was, yard touchdown run that was basically um, blown assignments. It was one of those things that you go, if everybody does their job, this doesn't end that way. So to me, there have been moments all season where Penn State has has not been as gap disciplined or gap sound as it can be. There have been moments where they've gotten pushed around up front in the interior. And I think for Penn State fans, that's one of those things where you think about teams like, uh, you know, Illinois did it to Penn State a couple of years ago where they just ran it down their throats. You know, Iowa is certainly historically a team where you go, okay, well, you know, they're going to run the ball. And, and I think, you know, Penn State fans look ahead to Michigan and Ohio State you know, those are two programs that can do everything well. And Michigan, to a certain extent, has certainly been able to revitalize the whole idea of what if we just ran it 40 times and you couldn't stop us? Um, you know, so I think there's a little bit of concern there. Um, but the good thing about a season is it's long. You have a lot of time to get better in Penn State's schedule. Really outside of this weekend, I think this weekend is is really for the first almost two months, really the first big test that Penn State has. So we'll learn a lot about Penn State's interior this weekend. We'll learn a lot about Penn State in general this weekend. 
Um, and certainly, you know, I've kind of wandered away from the question, but I, I do think that Penn State can get better in that area. And if, if the defense has a weakness, it's certainly that. You recently wrote about the kicking situation. That seems to be an improvement for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, Penn State was the benefactor of the last five or six years or so of really pretty elite punting, really good place kicking, and consistent enough field goal units that it, it wasn't a detriment. Um, and they went into this year really not knowing what they had out of anybody um, and went into week one and missed two basically chip shot field goals to start things off. So I think that kind of accentuated the uh, the, the red flag that was there. Alex Falcons has come in the last two weeks and has done a lot better. He made a 50, uh, I guess it was a 40 something yarder, uh, had a 52 yarder block that he, after the game, he's like, I just shanked it. So it happens. But to me, they found somebody there. He's a Columbia transfer, the guy they brought in to give that room some depth and he's won himself the job up until this point. Um, Penn state hasn't punted enough to have any idea how good um, that situation is in, in big moments. But certainly I think we've seen, pretty much everywhere across college football, certainly in the big 10 that you can have sexy offense and sexy defense, but you have to have good special teams. If you want to win games, certainly Iowa is familiar with the idea of the power of a good punter. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, for Penn state, they've got some question marks there still and some uncertainty. Um, but I think they feel a little bit more confident than, than where they were a few weeks ago. But at the same time, I think like most college football coaches, if if you can avoid putting yourself in a situation where you have to kick a 45-yard field goal, you'll do it at all costs, and, and Penn State's certainly in that boat as well. Now, we're recording this early in the week on Monday, but do you have a score prediction yet? Um, I'm horrible at score predictions, and I'm better at broad strokes, Tim, Tim but I, I mean, I'll give you a number anyway. My guess is that um, you know, it's hard to it's hard in general to pick against Penn State in the whiteout at home. Obviously, Michigan and Ohio State have had success in that environment. No offense to Iowa. They're not Michigan or Ohio State. I don't think anyone would dispute that fact. Um, to me, I think Iowa's defense is going to give Penn State problems the same way that it gives everybody problems. Um but Iowa's existential crisis of can we score enough points to win actual football games in 2023 is so strong that, you know, on paper, Penn State's got more talent offensively. It's got plenty of talent defensively. It's at home. It's at night. Um, to me, this is one of those games that is ugly. Iowa's going to find a way to score points because Penn State's not going to always be able to stop the run. Um, if if I had a gun to my head, you know, Penn State scored 30 or more points in 10 straight games, which leads the nation. I think they get to like, I don't know. I could see it going both ways. I could see the the last second, the last couple, you know, garbage time touchdowns that that take this game out of what it really looked like. But I think this might be the game that snaps that streak. So I'll go with 27 to 17 kind of thing. It's going to be a classic sort of Big Ten match. Now, if Penn State comes out and plays offensively like we know it can, this could be a very different conversation, but I think that Illinois did enough good things on defense to kind of show people the game plan against Penn State, and it's going to be up to Penn State to kind of pick their level up again if they want to beat some of these teams that on paper they should. That's almost identical to what I was thinking. And, of course, I may change on this before Saturday, but right now I'm leaning towards 27-20, almost said 27-17 as well. I think it's going to be tough for Iowa offensively when Cade McNamara has not looked like 2021 Cade McNamara and with Luke Lachey presumably out for quite a while. If you're going to be out two players, those would probably be the two that you could least afford. So it could be a competitive game, though, and 
it'll be a fun one to see for sure on Saturday. Yeah, there's no question about it. I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Penn State's schedule for a good chunk of the season is not that interesting, but I think Iowa and Penn State have played some great games over the years, especially recently. I think the little bit of animosity last season or a couple years ago, I guess it was, um, you know, makes this interesting. And, you know, it, it, I, I think we would all much rather watch interesting Big Ten games than, you know, our respective programs beating the school of the blind on a Tuesday afternoon (laughs) at noon. So, you know, here's, here's the fun stuff. Yes. Well, Ben, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode until next time we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.